Episode 7 of Affordable Italy, Living La Dolce Vita on a Bootstring may have some struggles with internet and sound in the first one-third, but once we got it figured out, our guest shines with huge insight into creating an affordable and bella vita in a region the big screens keep taking us to. Join me, Nancy Steele, as we discover Matera and the region of Basilicata through an immigrant's eyes. Ciao! If expatriation and immigration are on your mind, you've looked at Italy and wondered, is it possible? I did. In 2019, I was certain we could do it. In 2020, the world changed. And due to our reaction to it, our situation changed as well. I was no longer certain that Italy was within our reach. Plus, rumors about taxes and visas had me both confused and worried. Thanks to my favorite podcast, Retire There with Gil and Jean, and a bevy of generous immigrants who've gone before, as well as a personality that tends to doggedly seek to turn lemons to limoncello, my dream was rekindled. I decided to get my questions answered directly from first-person sources already experiencing affordable Italy, living La Dolce Vita on a bootstring. Join me as we explore with expats and experts if a future in Italy could be on your horizon. Perhaps this is too much personal information, but I've been disappointed in James Bond movies since 007 stopped looking and sounding like Sean Connery until recently. While researching for an upcoming trip, we're taking to Italy to fulfill Mark Hinshaw's advice in home finding. First find your region, then later look at towns and real estate. I discovered that 007 was filmed in the city of Matera Basilicata, just over the border from Puglia, where we're planning to explore. I decided to struggle through my bias and watched No Time to Die for the city views. I knew immediately that this Bond film was not a complete disappointment to me. The scenes from Matera put the city on a must-visit list for our trip. Being focused on the exploration of affordable regions to live in, I was intrigued and began investigating. Greg Foster soon popped up on my screen. Greg is here today to give us a little insight. He's originally from Lancashire and Lincolnshire regions of England and has lived in Matera since 2015. Like many good immigration stories, Greg moved to Italy for amore. He arrived to Italy and in his words very quickly established himself as a resident before his country created economic and political suicide. His pre-Brexit legal residency now allows him to work, live, and enjoy healthcare in Italy. He studied at Queen Mary University of London, obtaining his BA in English Literature and Drama, then completed a Master's in Contemporary Arts at Leeds Metropolitan University, and finally, in 2017, received a PhD from the School of Arts and Media at the University of Salford, Manchester. Currently, he and his partner, Sylvia, who was born and raised in Matera, live and work on Agriturismo La Asiolo. They jointly manage a cooking experience there called Matera Cooking Class, as well as tour experiences, which you can find under the name La Luca. In addition, Greg has years of experience in the linguistic field and now runs an English school in the region. His website, EnglishDoc.it, that's doc like doctor, says he employs unique teaching methods and creativity to help boost English language skills for the inhabitants of Basilicata through private and group lessons. Greg, thank you for joining us today and allowing us to explore the potential for livability and affordability in the Matera area. Thank you very much for having me here. Excited to join you on your podcast. I was so tickled to find you because I had never actually even thought of Matera as a place where real people live real lives. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So when you see it for the first time as well in, in real life, you definitely have that sense of a fantasy land that kind of can't really exist. Um, so I totally get that. But real people do live here. They have a name for themselves. They call themselves the Lucani. And that's the reason we call our tour project La Lucana, because this region, Basilicata, it actually has a very old uh, name, another name. So for those of your listeners who may have visited Rome before and been to the Vatican Museums, when you go on the way to the Sistine Chapel, you'll find maps 
You won't see Basilicata. You'll see the region, but it won't be written as Basilicata. It'll be written as Lucan, the old name. So the people in this region still refer to themselves as the Lucani. I love it. And so Sylvia, my partner, is a Lucana, and her dad is a Lucano, and together they're Lucani, and I guess I am now an honorary Lucano. <laughs> and so, yes, I live now on an agriturismo, which is um, Italy's best-kept secret. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a secret that Italians guard very jealously from the likes of us, uh, English-speaking travellers. They guard this secret for a very good reason, because it's in these places where you can find the most beautiful scenery, you find the most kind of authentic way of life, but you also find some of the best food in Italy in these agriturismi. Um, they started actually in the Tuscany region. Uh, just outside of Florence in the 80s, I believe. And they, they were kind of a, a product of, of a situation where you had farmers living in beautiful plots of land, growing amazing food, wonderful kind of way of life. But they were kind of struggling financially. So the local government at the time kind of gave them a pot of money and, and encouraged them to build a sort of second income stream. So maybe they would build a little restaurant or build some rooms to do bed and breakfast. And so the idea was that you would mix agriculture with tourism and so agri-tourism kind of came out of that. I've never heard all that. Yeah, yeah. So fast forward to today, and of course you find agriturismi. Agriturismi is the plural. You find them all over Italy. You can literally travel every part of Italy only staying in agriturismi. And I always recommend it because they're usually ran by local families. Families like my partner Sylvia and her family, where, where we are here. You eat some of the best food. You eat the food that's in season, the food that they eat, all the local old traditional recipes. And obviously agriturismi are farms as well. So they always specialize in growing. They usually grow lots of things. You know, most of the things that you eat at an agriculture well come from that farm or as local as possible. But they usually specialize in something. So we, we actually specialize in producing olives or gr the green gold, as we call it, or <laughs> the liquid gold, which is the, the extra virgin olive oil. And so here, Sylvia's family have over 2,500 olive trees. Wow. And so they produce extra virgin olive oil. And her parents have been running this place as, an, as a traditional agriturismo for about 22 years now. It used to belong to her granddad, actually, her mum's father, Emanuele, non Emanuele. He was a peach farmer, actually, originally. So there were no olives here in the 50s. He, he had all peaches and he, he replanted it all uh, into olives. And, and then he kind of retired and Sylvia's mum and dad met. And her dad is an architect. Uh, he's just retired himself, actually, but had a great passion for farming and, uh, and olives as well. So, so they basically got the idea to get some funding from the government to build an agriturismo. 22 years ago, they, they opened Agriturismo La Ciola, where we are now. And, and then for the last kind of maybe five or six years, Sylvia and I have been trying to open up this experience to the international market, if you like. Luckily for me, Sylvia had already learned English long before I met her. She, she was lucky enough to meet a group of English people who would come to this farm when she was a teenager. They would come every year and do art courses and then they would go back to their village in South England in Devon, I think, and do little exhibitions of the of the paintings they did. And and actually, it's an interesting story about those guys. They used to go to Tuscany. By chance, they discovered Basilicata. And when they discovered Basilicata, they said that they liked coming to Basilicata because you didn't need to sort of fight with your elbows to get a spot of a good view. You can literally have at times here at some villages just to yourself. Um, so it's far less crowded, far less holistic. And so they fell in love with this region. I'm not the first English here. So they invited Sylvia over the course of four or five years every summer. She, she sacrificed her Mediterranean summers for the grey, drizzly weather of southern England. <laughs> and tea drinking. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sound that appealing. <laughs> 
<laughs> she learned English like this as a teenager. So she was already, I think her dad was already aware as well that Matera would probably one day become this more well-known destination on the Italian kind of tourist map. <laughs> so this has allowed her to, her and, and now myself as well, to to create projects like La Lucana, where you spend a week with us, we, or a few days with us, we, we try to create a little insight for you into what life is really like here as a Lugani mm. in terms of the food, the, the history, the culture, even the music as well. Then more recently in the last year and a half to two years, we've created a day-long cooking class. MateraCookingClass.com is the website. It's an opportunity for people to learn how to make fresh pasta in the authentic way. Many people argue Lucania is the, the home of original pasta. Actually, I'm sure there's a lot of debate in Italy about this, but there is a good argument to say that it did originate here, actually. And in fact, the way Sylvia teaches it is the way she learned from her grandmother. And uh, obviously she learned it from her grandmother, etc., etc. This region is really one of the oldest parts of Italy. It was part of ancient Greece. Fun fact: Pythagoras is from southern Italy. <laughs> so <laughs> I did read that Matera is considered the third oldest inhabited city in the world after Jericho and Aleppo. Is that true? That's right. Yeah, wow. that's exactly right. Yeah, and it's um, you know, and there are caves uh, that you can you can visit. An archaeologist called uh, Domenico Ridola discovered a lot of Neolithic sites. So there's a museum dedicated to him in in Matera as well. So the Materans used to say to me, "You're never welcomed to Matera." you're only welcomed back to Matera because there's a good chance, if you think of the evolution of cave anything, there's a good chance that many of us probably in the lineage may have even passed through here at some point as well. That's kind of mind-blowing. Matera is a mind-blowing. Yeah. Do they have universities in the area? Is this a hotspot for people to come and intellectually dive in? or? Matera has the University of Basilicata. I know that there's a school here uh, which is linked to a school in Rome. Um, the biggest university really here is Bari, which okay. is about an hour away. So that's our kind of biggest city, if you like. Yeah. Okay. One of the things they tell us as uh, retirees or potential retirees is that we should look for communities that are active in multiple ways, including university cities, because they tend to be vibrant with the youth there. Generally, there's a lot going on and, and more things for seniors to keep the mind sharp. So it sounds like Matera is rich with all kinds of opportunities for that. But it really depends on kind of what type of experience you, you would be looking for as well mm -hmm. to, to live in Italy. I mean, I think Basilicata generally is this kind of interesting new territory, really. You know, we I literally just two nights ago, I was in a local village called Pomarico, which is a very beautiful little place. It's actually the it's famous for being the place where the, I think it was the grandfather of Vivaldi came there. Mm. this tiny little village in, in Basilicata. There's some really interesting opportunities for people to repopulate these villages. Yes. One thing a lot of listeners will be looking at Basilicata for is actually the 7% flat tax opportunity, which covers the entire region of Basilicata for those towns that are less than 20,000 inhabitants. Matera does not qualify. The population of Matera in January 2022 was actually 59,685. So that's a good sized city. But as I was researching, I was noticing some things about Matera that I thought, I don't know if this is a fit for an affordable living in Italy topic because the real estate was a little bit higher. So I started looking outside of Matera, including where you live, and I noticed so many small towns just really with an easy reach of both Matera and the beach, as you were talking about the gorgeous beach there with tons of historic presence. <laughs> yeah. That was interesting, but a lot of listeners will be interested also in affordability in outlying areas, smaller towns. Yeah. Looking at Matera as a potential for an expat to come and live, are you familiar at all with what's happening with real estate there? I did look a little 
little bit, I determined right away that I was not going to find any sort of a beautiful redone cave for less than 300,000 and perhaps not even yeah. anywhere close to 300,000. In Mateta itself, the only thing under 200,000 near the Centro, and I believe you'd still call it Centro, wouldn't you, even though Mateta, the old city, is kind of completely separate? You know, I mean, I should just maybe clarify a little bit about the, the okay. sort of geography. James Bond was fantastic for us because, you know, when they were filming that, actually, we lived in the sass, and Sylvia was actually translating for the director on set. The sassy are the caves, just to clarify. In the James Bond film, you actually see another town called Gravina in Puglia, uh, which is blended. So that whole sequence on the bridge, the car, that is not Matera. Uh, they just CGI'd it, you see. It's actually two towns. Gravina in itself is another very beautiful place, actually. Gravina in Puglia, beautiful place. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely beautiful. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I totally hear what you're saying. We lived in Sassi for just over six years. Let me just help you out with something straight away. The Sassi is is beautiful. I will always feel very honoured that I, I got to live in a UNESCO World Heritage Site. But there is a reason that they evacuated that place. Um, and there is a reason why most Materan people would not live there if you paid them. It is incredibly uncomfortable to live in the Sassi. From the sort of point of view on the screen and the photographs, it looks, oh wow, waking up in a cave, how beautiful. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, that novelty, very quickly wears off as as the, the the limestone which i call tufo here which is a particular type of limestone as it starts to crumble every day and leave dust on everything and then you realize you're breathing that in every it's for the camp it is very unhealthy it is not for living these days some people do it we did it but it's not a good idea it's great for a okay. few nights you know? okay. so um so first, first tip I would say is that if you or listeners are looking for a nice kind of holiday home for a few weeks a year, okay, could be nice. I still wouldn't choose it personally. I think if you leave Matera, you've got some beautiful countries. I will come to that in a moment. But but the Sassi is not really the, the, the place to go, I would say, for, for most of your listeners. I recently, last year, bought a, a small apartment myself in the center of Matera. I paid 85,000 euros. It was a good deal, though. I was kind of fortunate. I found the guy that needed to sell. But then this kind of leads me to the thing that I wanted to say. I think the mistake would be, particularly in the South here, would be to treat the real estate market more kind of in the way you're used to. It is such a different culture here around selling houses, buying houses, at least from a British point of view. I'm not sure in America. There's a lot of differences. Um, for example, I mean, many places are not even sold through real estate agents, you know? Many places are advertised privately. Uh, and so finding those places can sometimes be a challenge in itself. I promise you that there, there probably are places, but you just need to know where to look, you know? Okay, sure. Actually, I have a good couple of friends. I'm looking forward to spending a, a day at the seaside with them tomorrow over the border in Calabria, about an hour away. We have some of the most beautiful uh, seaside there. Mm. Uh, my friends Paolo and Eli. Eli is um, an architect, actually, and she's done some pretty important restaurants and houses and things in Matera and the region. And Paolo is um, he's a tax man, so he doesn't have a lot of friends, but he's a good friend of ours. He's a very good guy. He knows all about the Agencia delle Entrate, and he can help navigate people through that. And, and oh how many times I have had to call him and say, what does this mean? Why, why are they asking that? What is going on here? 
So, so yeah, these two actually have got a very interesting idea. They want to create a little website where they offer a service, as it were, because Paolo doesn't speak English. He speaks a little bit, but Italy speaks English quite well. And uh, I think they've got a great idea to offer a, a kind of service to British, Americans, Australians, etc., who might want to come and uh, build a life here or, you know, build a holiday home here. And I think having a team like those two to help you Firstly, find property, and then secondly, redesign, renovate property, interior design, do the project, and then also having a guy to help you navigate the bureaucracy with all that in Italy. After seeing my experience here with this, I think that would be absolutely fundamental, really. It is a challenge here to navigate such things like buying a house, finding real estate, doing a project, um, navigating the tax system. Okay, yes, yeah. We will link your website and make sure that there's contact information and people could actually perhaps even reach out to you if they were looking for a little bit of advice. Absolutely. In terms of finding, yeah, thank you. That would be helpful, I think. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and if anyone was considering Basilicata, Puglia or the South and they were looking for a team to help them, you know, maybe renovate a place or um, navigate that process, I, I would love to link them up with Paolin early with that because it's a new business idea for them. And I, I think this region, particularly Basilicata, I think it's a, it's a kind of up and coming region in that sense. So there's Certainly. A... Yeah. I think especially being a 7% flat tax region where people may not have been aware at all of Basilicata because it's on that list, it makes them start looking. Definitely, I think up and coming. Talk to me a little bit about the attributes of the area. Weather. I know it's reportedly very hot there in the summers. I'm not sure about winters, what the winters would be like. Would there ever be snow? Is there excessive wind? I have to say it's changed slightly in the in the last eight to nine years that I've been here. I remember when I arrived, there was much more of a sense of the kind of four seasons, you know? Mm. Um, but it feels like, um, maybe this is just a global trend as well, it does feel like we're kind of moving into a more of a two-season situation. <laughs> Let's talk about the summer. So we just had, we just came off the back this year of an incredibly hot heat wave. We just had a two-week period of 43, 44 degrees Celsius every day, and it was really, really too much for everyone. Usually, like today, for example, we're in a kind of 33 degrees, 34 degrees today, so it's a very sort of warm summer, very typical. I would say it's like that every day, sunshine every day. Hmm. Is it humid? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can be. It depends. You know, it changes. I noticed that in, in April and May, we seem to get a lot of rain now. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of winter, I have to say every year that I've been here, I've seen some snow every year. Okay. So it's surprising, but we do get snow. And in fact, three or four years ago, we had a blizzard, actually, where we had a meter of snow. That's like three or four feet of snow, basically. My goodness. And it was insane. I mean, the sassy was beautiful. We were living in the sassy <laughs> at that bet. time. It was beautiful. But, yeah. um, but you can imagine they were, just, they were just not prepared for that here. You know? No. The winters do get cold. You can get down to freezing, so zero mm. degrees centigrade. You know, it, you know, you're not looking at Arctic conditions. Does it last very long when it gets cold and or snow? No, I mean, most of the time, you're going to have a generally nice uh, climate. Good, good. People like this, uh, this part of the world, of course, isn't it? Is it easy to air condition to keep yourselves cool and your guests cool there? Yeah, I mean, everyone has air conditioning and, uh, you know, it's the same. Okay, good. So it's possible to be comfortable, even though there's some concerns, especially um, looking forward to the future. Now, what about seismic activity or fire? I did see some areas that were fairly well treed, but it's very rocky there. It looked like very dry. I think that's going to be concern, an increasing concern, really, uh, all over the place, really. 
from Greece to Italy to Spain to everywhere. I think this is just, I have to touch wood, uh, as we do in Italy, touch iron. Uh, but I touch both. I haven't seen any fire here, thank goodness. But in Sicily, of course, I had some problems with that. Earthquakes. The last earthquake that impacted Basilicata was in 1980, hmm. but it was not on the scale of those seen, I think, in Abruzzo, in those areas around there. So yeah. not in a red zone here, I would say. Okay. You clearly have proximity to water. I did see one of your experiences was a pretty cool looking hiking scenario. And then you're sitting smack dab in the middle of so much, I'm both from a natural natural interest as well as archaeological and historical interest. Talk to us a little bit about what people do who live there for entertainment. I know you are busy with language, agriturismo, cooking classes and experiences. I can't imagine you have a whole lot of downtime. But what do people do? What do Italians do when they don't have to work? One guess. Eat. Eat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, is, um, this is the obsession. There's lots of eating out. There's lots of hanging out. There's lots of passeggiata or due pass. Mm. Taking two steps, going for a walk, um, hanging out with your friend, going to the seaside like we're going to do tomorrow. We're going to go to a, a beautiful little place called Monte Giordano which is in Calabria. Beautiful place, beautiful type, very simple seaside, pebbled beach, nice little lido. We'll have due spaghetti, which means two spaghetti with oxe, probably, which are with mussels, with lambs. Uh, and uh, it'll be very chilled out. Pretty, it's pretty nice. I think it's the la dolce di far niente, which means the, the sweetness of doing nothing. I may have got that wrong slightly, but it's something on those lines. Visiting a beautiful seaside and enjoying the sea, or taking a walk around a beautiful village and seeing what's there, or going to, some of the beautiful forests here just discovering things all the time we went to this absolutely stunning place in Basilicata and this is kind of still my life I'm just constantly discovering still these mm. but it's just this beautiful village surrounded by mountains I can't remember the name I'm afraid but there's many of them to actually visit some waterfalls there were not there was not there was not a lot of water because it's not rained a lot but the scenery was like a forest and we took our dog we took a picnic and we had a few hours walking around that and then we went to visit this town and uh, found ourselves speaking to a guy who was 96 years old these are the sorts of things that we love to do you know um, like last night for example we went to the local village just up on the hill near us Miljonico another beautiful little place another great place for your listeners to kind of look in to, I would say. What was the name of it? Uh, Million. We would read it as Miglionicon. We would spell it M-I-G-L-I-O-N-I-C-O. And you're closest to that. I did look there also. Didn't find real estate in the well-known websites. But again, you probably find it online. You know, that's a thing I said earlier. You yeah, know? probably would not find it online. Would probably find it from someone you know. But yeah, so so yeah, we went there last night. They were doing this wonderful festival last night, which is called La Conjura dei Baroni, which is the which is the conspiracy of the barons. It's a fantastic thing, actually. And one example of many festivals you will find in all of the village uh, across Italy, really, but definitely here in the south in Basilicata. And so they have a, a castle in this village. And it's called the Castle uh, Castello di Malconsiglio, which means the Castle of Bad Advice. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of a proper game of throwing 
Naples episode, basically, kind of from the 1400s, where basically the king of Naples kind of lured a group of barons to his daughter's wedding. Found out these barons wanted to get out because he was trying to take their power. And Milionica had this castle. It was the new castle. And so he threw this wedding there, invited these barons and said, ah, you know, come to my daughter's wedding and we'll eat and drink. Basically, he got them drunk and fed well, and, and then at the end of the night, he locked the gates of the castle and pretty much executed all of them. Those that he didn't execute, off to uh, another town to be tortured. Oh, my goodness. And so this story is an important uh, part of their history now. And so they do this festival uh, where all the town gets dressed up in medieval clothes, and, and you have falconry, and you have knights in sword fighting, and there's a performance in the, in the castle, and food, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's Really, really, I made a little video of it actually last year. I can send you that. As well. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you say, you know, what do you do to entertain yourself? Probably just to finish that point, I, I think I would share the anecdote that I, I always give to American guests, British guests when they come here. And it's, it's something that was difficult for me when I first arrived here. You know, I was very confused when I first got here. So I had the friend called Vito. And, uh, you know, the story always went that, you know, Vito would, uh, would call me at like, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon after siesta. You, you never call anyone between one and four here, okay? okay? It's really rude, you know? It's really rude to do this. So it's our pro tip, yeah? Don't do things as you go along. Anyway, so Vito, he was saying, do you want to, to go out this evening? And I was like, yeah, sure, man. What time? What time should we meet? He said, ah, we meet in the evening. I was like, yeah, but, but what time, Vito? Nah, in the evening. I was like, okay, uh, so where are we meeting, Vito? Where are we meeting? We meet in the center. But where? Piazza Vittorio Veneto, Lanfranchi, Sassi. Where are we going to meet? Ah, we meet in the center. So I was like, Vito, I'm meeting you this evening in the center. See, 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 see. I'll see you later. Is it a British person? This is a crisis, of course. You know. Of course, yes. What am I supposed to do with this? You know. Am I going to be late? Am I going to be early? You know what I mean? So you just you just find yourself uh, wandering into town when you feel like it might be even when the sun starts to kind of lower a bit and... And before you know it, you've met Vito and everyone else, and you suddenly you have a glass of wine in your hand or a spritz, and, and, and you're living, you're in you're in the middle of it all, and it's all kind of happened, and so and so this is the kind of this is the beauty, this is the dolce vita yeah. that part, yeah. Yeah, this is one of my next questions was actually going to be. Are the local Italians, are they inclusive? I know that expats are welcome in terms of being tourists, but are they welcome as far as being friends and making a life there? My experience is that I found Italians to be very, very welcoming and, and tolerant uh, and inclusive of immigrants. And I, I prefer to use that term immigrant. I, I don't like to describe myself as an ex-pat. Uh, I, I kind of find that tricky because it somehow wants to sort of separate us out from the kind of other type of immigrants there are in the world. Generally, in this region at least, they don't generally appreciate it when uh, British, Americans, foreigners, as it were, try to elevate themselves or separate themselves from others. And I think that issue of being an immigrant, of course, particularly in a place like Basilicata, I literally told you earlier about Pomarico. Uh, so there's a, in fact, there's a guy in Pomarico who lives in Boston. He, he comes here with his mum every, he even speaks the local dialect. He has a house there. He was basically telling me that if you go to Brooklyn, it's full of Pomaricani, I think they call them, yeah. the people from Pomarico, yeah. And so... Obviously, Italians have a history of being immigrants themselves, you know? Mm. And so it, 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 is an, it is a thing that you have to be a little bit delicate with, you know? You, I, my advice is 
try your best to not present yourself as any different than any other type of immigrant currently or in the past might have been. So personally, I, I would use the term immigrant. And I would say that if you are open to the culture, if you're open to try things differently, that doesn't mean that you can't get frustrated with things. Italians are the first to get frustrated with some of their bureaucratical things. You know? <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that again in a minute. But, um, but if you're open to things, if you're willing to um, talk with people and try, then absolutely. I, I found Italians to be some of the most hospitable, or Lucani in particular, to be some of the most, most hospitable people I think I've ever met. Obviously, there is a big barrier to that, though, sometimes, which is, of course, the language. Yeah? Yes. And, uh, and, you know, and so this, this is a really important part of it. Learning Italian is challenging. Yeah, it is challenging. Mm-hmm. But it's a part of being an immigrant here. You know, it's a part of being an immigrant anywhere going through that language barrier. I'm just going to be very blunt to all your listeners. Yeah. Okay. If you come to Italy and you find that you can't integrate... And you find that Italians are not including you or they're not, you know, they, they sort of keep a distance from you. And then you also say that you haven't made really an attempt to learn the language. I'm sorry, but you only really have yourself to blame, you know, at that point. And I'm going to just say that out there. That is very you know, helpful. Um, I teach English here. I'm encouraging particularly younger people here to develop their English language skills, because just from an economic point of view, they can you know they can really develop particularly tourism and all the all the uh, the things that they make and export here i work with a whole range of different people on that that doesn't mean that you know everyone has to go around here speaking english mm-hmm. now having said that if you do you'll meet a lot of people here even in Matera and you will meet a lot of people who do have some English or maybe they want to practice their English, but they will always appreciate it if you try to speak some Italian. None of them here are under any illusion that it is an easy thing to do. Let me tell you, it is hard for them to do. Italian is really hard. Yeah, I mean, I know it all sounds, it all sounds beautiful. And even for these guys, it is hard. It is complicated. And so nobody's expecting you to be sort of perfect. Um, But if you make the effort, just really put it to you like this. And this is not just with the language. I would say this is in in every sense. If you make the smallest of effort, they will reward you tenfold, you know, with their generosity, with their kindness, with just their kind of Italianness, let's say. Mm -hmm. And and that's the kind of, you know, then, then you kind of start to enter into kind of, sometimes the love-hate relationship with things like the bureaucracy and the post office <laughs> and getting the internet put in and, uh, um, and, and, and you know and this is kind of part of a life as well so you kind of have these moments where you're just kind of losing your mind with like why is this thing so complicated to get this form filled in or something like this and you're just exasperated and then you will sort of find yourself in a bar taking a moment to, to have a cafe le cheers which is what I've been drinking during this which is uh, a wonderful iced coffee with almond milk syrup that's a, a coffee mm. from Lecce it's a wonderful thing okay and uh, and then you start speaking to a stranger and you'll try your kind of broken Italian as you're learning and they'll really appreciate it and then you'll go to pay for your coffee and before you realize it you realize that this complete stranger who's never met you before and just had a minute conversation with you has bought your coffee for you oh my and, goodness. Uh, and, then, and it's just remarkable and then you just Within a second, you know, after being kind of so frustrated and exasperated, within a second, you just kind of go, oh, but it's, uh, oh, they are great, aren't they? It's wonderful. You know, <laughs> you're you in eat love something. again. Yeah. yeah, you're in love again. You know, yeah. It's, um, yeah. you know it, it really brings you to your knees, this country, yeah. so easily, so easily. So it's worth it all in the end. But you have to make the effort. 
Yeah, you have to make the effort and take the responsibility um, you know, that you're you're yeah. living in their country and you need to be exactly. a good guest. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and and you just have to make an effort. Yeah. And I've noticed as well that if you're curious, if you're enthusiastic about the things they have, I mean, it's interesting. You've got to understand something here. So particularly where food is concerned. So this is one of the interesting little insights that I can give your listeners. Yeah. So Sylvia's family, for example. You know, I mean, obviously they run a restaurant as well. But whenever they go, whenever they go to eat at a local restaurant, and this is true for them, for most Italians here, okay, you, it's very rare that you will hear an Italian come home from a night out at a restaurant or at a new place, new restaurant. It's very rare that you'll hear them come back and say, "Wow, that was amazing! That food, oh, it was delicious." It's always, "Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was good." You know. Because they're too proud, you see, because oh you know, because it, there's no way that what the other person's cooked could be as good as either what they cook or their wife cooks or their mom cooks or their grandmother cooks. Okay? I, so wow. you, can't, you can't get too excited okay? as an Italian. <laughs> they call it the satisf- uh, satisf- satisfaction. So, yeah? okay. They don't give you the satisfaction amongst themselves. Oh. Yeah? But this is our way in as foreigners, you see, because what they absolutely love when British, Americans and English speakers come here, the more enthusiastic we are about the things we eat and let me tell you it's very easy to be enthusiastic about the things you eat here yeah the more you do that they love it because they don't get that from each other you see they don't get the satisfaction from each other so if you're the foreigner oh my god this is a and it is usually one of the most amazing <laughs> things you ever eaten the italians are just in love with you then you're you're oh. sorted then you know like and they will bring you more and you've got to try this and you've got to go there you got to so i've noticed that you know going back to the original question how are they inclusive yes but you've got to put the work in, you've got to put the effort in, you've got to be enthusiastic, you've got to be curious, you've got to be open-minded, uh, you've got to be willing to try, you, you've got to be willing to change your routines, change your approaches to meeting places and times and procedures. And, uh, and if you can do those things, a wonderful, truly wonderful way of life awaits you here. I love that we can actually give them something that they need because they seem to have everything that we want. So it's so nice to know. Thank you so much. As an immigrant, and it is hard to change that language, you know, you've been speaking expat. I have another friend, I mentioned him already, Mark Hinshaw, who actually has very gently pushed me in that direction because the stereotype that you're talking about in terms of immigrant versus expat is so real. It is absolutely real. It's hard to know if a listening audience will grasp that the word immigrant is for you. It's all inclusive, but I will actually take your word and marks and try and work that into my language. I mean, look, you know, just to the final thing to say on that, don't worry too much about that because most Italians don't speak enough English to understand the difference between those things. But but I think what's more important is perhaps the, the sort of thinking behind that. Yes. If you're going to come here and make a life, try not to separate yourself from the other visitors here too much. Because in my experience, Italians will not respond to that in the best way. They don't like the idea of, of oh, you know, I'm sort of better than them or I'm higher than them. Or sure. One of the things I love about Matera, about Basilicata, and I've always said this to my partner, Sylvia, and I've never seen this in Britain. So I come from a very class-based society. I know they like to say that doesn't exist anymore in Britain, but I promise you it does exist mm-hmm. very much, still exists. You know, you go to a village or a town in Britain and you will have a pub for these type of people, a pub for those type of people, a place for that mm. class, a place for this. It's very rare that you will get these, these kind of places where things are mixed. One of the things I love about Matera, about you can go into the simplest of bars, the simplest of pizzerias, the simplest of restaurants. I'm talking really basic, basic place, not elegant, very simple. By the way, those are always the best places to eat here. Another pro tip. 
Yeah, good tip. With the plastic chairs, just very simple. And what's amazing here is that you will find at the bar, sat next to each other, the dustbin man, the doctor, the dentist, the teacher, you know, the lawyer, all mixed together. Do you know what I mean? They're not, there's yeah. no, you know, this sort of sense of community in that. They're humans, not their socioeconomic yeah. income level. So that tells you a lot, I think, about how you should approach integrating. I you know, love I that. Think, you know, I love everything about that. Speaking of, you touched on a major, major issue for people looking to immigrate, at least from the U.S., and that is healthcare. One of the really important things for me in ascertaining if a place will be possible for us to live in as we age is how close are medical services, doctors, clinics, dentists, and all-important hospital access. What's that like? And I also would like for you to speak to a immigration groups, um, when we talk about healthcare, Basilicata is one of those regions that typically it's not spoken kindly of in terms of quality of healthcare. So maybe you can add a little bit to that. I mean, your boots on the ground, maybe you guys have had some experience that would be firsthand. I think sometimes what we're hearing is news that's been passed around and around, and maybe doesn't ever even really come to the actual root case that developed some of that. I know that there are some overall infrastructure things that the South struggles with, but I also feel like it's important to make room in our minds that perhaps things will be changing or even have changed. So what's your experience with healthcare? How close is it? And quality wise, accessibility wise, all of that. What's your experience? I consider myself honorary Lucano now. So I'm going to have to speak up for my Lucani, my southern Italians now. The northerners often have re referred to the southerners as the Teroni, the people of the earth, which is a very derogatory term, actually. I like the way that people here in the south have owned that, sort of often proudly describe themselves as Teroni. It reminds me much of the way in English we talk about people being down to earth and calling a spade a spade and things like we do in England. I would be very skeptical generally about what people in the north say about people in the south i'd remind your listeners that it is in the south where italy started it was here <laughs> where the greeks came and, and created l'italia italia came from a greek word meaning bountiful of cows and they found all these cows in the south of italy it basically meant a rich and fertile land the north essentially stole the riches of the south so there's a political divide here and i think we have to be very skeptical about okay. many of the things that the northerners would say about the southerners yeah in I'm terms of the specific, this, yes yeah yeah <laughs> now look that doesn't mean to say that there are not uh, infrastructure challenges here in the south particularly in basilicata we do need more motorways here we do need uh, a better train uh, station system here but in terms of healthcare, let me explain my experience with it, really. So I have experienced healthcare through a mixture of the public sort of free to use at the um, point of access kind of service like we have in England, like a national healthcare service. I've experienced that and I've experienced private sector as well. So let me start with the private sector. First thing to say about that is that it's a lot, lot cheaper to get private things done here, certainly than it is in England. I'll give you two examples. So the dentist, much cheaper here than it was in, in, in England, yeah? And I've had several things done. Unfortunately, I, I find myself at the dentist sometimes. So, But a big one for me was laser treatment. I was very lucky to have my laser or myopia about six years ago by a guy called Valicenti. He was the student of the first guy in Italy 
to do the DKR surgery, I think, in the 1980s. And so he was one of the first people to be doing this in Italy. And he is from Matera. And he is a very, very well-respected eye surgeon across Italy. He often works in Pisa as well. I had my laser treatment done here for, I would say, almost half the price it would have cost me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some actually world-leading physicians in these areas. Sylvia's uncle, for example, a cardiologist, retired now, very well regarded. Barry has, um, I believe, a very, very important cancer ontology. How do they call it? Ontology. Oncology. I was an oncology, oncology. nurse. That's yeah. right. Sorry, oncology. So, yes, look, I know for a fact that there's some very experienced decisions across all the different fields of medicine here. Um, in terms of actually the National Health Service here, I'm constantly amazed by it. Mm. If I want to go and see a doctor, he's open at certain times, I've got a timetable, I can go to him, I simply get in the queue, sometimes I'll wait 20 minutes, sometimes I'll wait an hour. You know, as long as you plan your time for it, I'll see the doctor. Are you going to Matera or are you going to Little Villages? No, I go to Matera because it's actually near where my studio is as well. So I come, sometimes if I ever need to go, it works better for me to do that. Is there healthcare in the villages as well? Or absolutely, is everybody? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and hospitals? Biggest, nearest hospital here is Matera. Okay. Um, and again, you know, I've only had positive experiences. I've been in the Pronto Sicuzzo there, which is the A&E. And I was amazed by the level of detail that they went into. I had this um, problem a few years ago where I had a reaction in my hand. I had a really big swollen hand, something uh, kind of gone on. And uh, it was a bit frightening, actually, because I didn't understand all the language. And it was a time in COVID when people couldn't come with me. They gave me a, a drip feed with cortisone to try and bring it down. And then the next thing I know, this doctor is taking me off to another part of the hospital. He looked very serious. I was thinking, oh my God, what are they about to tell me now? You know? And he was like, no, no, we just have to do this other important check. Luckily, he took me to this other room and the, the guy realized it was English. And then like this, he started speaking with this beautiful American New York accent. He was from <laughs> New York, actually, the doctor. And they were just explaining to me, no, we have to just do a check for thrombosis. And I mean, it was just a level of care that I hadn't seen in the UK before. I think it's remarkable, really, here, the, the level of healthcare here. One thing you have to understand, Italians are all hypochondriacs, okay? I mean, seriously hypochondriacs, yeah? Like, they are <laughs> terrified of everything, particularly the famous colpo d'aria, which is this uh, imaginary hit of wind that could kill you at any moment. <laughs> yes, even, even when it's 21, 22 degrees centigrade outside, you still must do that. So they are obsessed with this. And, they, you know, look, it's all part of the culture as well, you know? I mean, Sylvia explains when she Love cooks it. the pasta. Why do we eat pasta al dente? It's not because we want to show off and, oh, we like to say al dente. No, it's not. It wasn't chefs who advised to cook the pasta al dente. It was doctors who advised to do that oh. in the turn of the 20th century because they understood that this was better for your digestion system. You know? Oh, my goodness. And they are obsessed with these things. You know, if I want to completely freak my um, girlfriend's parents out, particularly her father, all I need to do is let him see me eat a big lunch and then go straight without any pause into the swimming pool. If I do this, he will have the air ambulance from Matera <laughs> in a helicopter coming because I'm going to die without a doubt. So, um, <laughs> so this culture of prevention, this obsession with what you put inside your body, 
it all culminates in a fantastic healthcare service. I love getting a primary source on positive experiences. I had one recently in Sicily as well. When I booked her, my ulterior motive was to talk about healthcare. She responded in her email, I have some things about healthcare I'd like to talk about. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> So I'm certain that you know there will be yeah. argument from others, but what I love is you can't really argue with a primary source. You can't really argue with someone mm -hmm. who is talking about their experiences. I think the thing that I'm still wondering is separating the folks that are in more rural circumstances in Basilicata versus being close to Mateta, the big city hospital, because again, people are gonna be interested in looking at Basilicata for the 7% flat tax opportunities and wondering, does it translate the same to be further out, further away? I don't know how easy travel is from one place to another if you needed a hospital urgently. I mean, Basilicata is pretty big as a region. You know, geographically, it's pretty big. It's about 600,000 people, mm -hmm. but it's a huge region, actually. At the minute in this region, it would be advisable to have a car. I, mean, okay. I think that is going to change over the years. I think as the region develops a bit. I know that's about to be a new train service from Bari to Matera. There is one at the minute, but I think developing that, so there'll be five more trains a day, I think, about an hour to Bari, I think. So so that's a good thing from Matera always. I did not know that there was a train service from Bari to Matera. We thought that you had to either hire a car or there was a bus that would take too long, but I had no idea there was a train from Bari to Yeah. Well, well there is a currently, but they'll be adding a new service soon, very, very soon, I believe. So, okay. Um, but nonetheless, nonetheless, if you're going to be out in the villages, it is advisable, I would say, to have car in that sense okay have you met anyone who is an immigrant who is aging in this area this is another concern you know in the u.s we kind of have it stuck in our heads that if anything goes wrong you're going to end up in a nursing home but unfortunately it's unbelievably expensive now what does that look like for an immigrant i understand that an italian might have family and a great support system built in already what would it look like for somebody like me if i were to immigrate to basilicata and then want to age in place the only thing i can really say is that i've noticed how people here live a long, long time. And because they eat this Mediterranean diet, they have this way of life, they seem to live a healthier old age here. And maybe that attitude uh, of prevention and accessibility yeah. for healthcare, right? Absolutely. Uh, in terms of the specifics of, of kind of nursing homes and things like this, the only other thing I can say actually that I know, like Sylvia's grandmother before she passed away, like a lot of the elderly people here will, will have women who go every day to, you know, to make lunch, clean the house. Is this what's called a badante? That's right, yes. I think they call it badante. Yes, that's a, a carer. I'm very interested. Yeah, this seems to be a very common thing here. I've noticed that like like the families will sort of share the cost of that for the parents, I've noticed. Is it tremendously expensive, do you know? Um, I, I, sorry, I just don't know the cost okay. of it. It's not something I've had to engage sure. in. I would assume, I would assume like everything else I've really talked about here in terms of, you know, the cost of things, I would assume that it's a, it's a lot cheaper than you might find in, in the UK, for example, probably the USA as well. Yeah, yeah it, it would be prohibitively expensive to hire private help to come into your home in the US <laughs> to actually age at home. I think that's a much, much more rare circumstance here. You know, if I move to Basilicata, I've got grandkids that I'm going to have to see a couple times a year at the very least. Uh, what would airport and travel access be? I know Bari probably has a pretty close proximal big airport. There are also trains that run up and down the Adriatic. And I don't know what else the train circumstances are like there. So, yeah. So in terms of traveling here, so Bari Airport is, of course, the, the biggest, uh, the kind of the, the, our main airport here. Daily flights to Rome. 
and Milan from there as well. So a lot of people would maybe fly to Rome or Milan and then catch the flight down to Bari. Uh, before COVID, there was talk, and in fact, I believe it was imminent, a new service, a direct service to JFK, I believe. Then COVID came along, and I, I don't know what's happened to those plans. I can only assume that that, that may happen again one time. I, that would be very good for tourism as well. Yeah, travel's bigger than ever. But even without that, though, as I said, there's daily flights to Milan and Rome. And then from Bari, in the last couple of years, they finished a, a nice kind of new road that links Matera and Bari as well. So you can easily get into Basilicata, I would say, now from Bari. If you're on the other side of Basilicata, the Potenza, because Basilicata has provinces, so you have Matera and Potenza. And if you're on the other side, depending on where you are, you might find it's easier to go to Napoli. In terms of trains, Matera is frustrating because it's this important city that doesn't really have a proper train service. It's got this kind of small train between Bari and Matera with all the little towns along the way. You can get a train from Rome, though. There's about five or six trains a day, I believe, or five trains a day from Rome to a place called Ferrandina, which is another great little village, actually. You get the train station just outside of the village, and that is very accessible to Matera from there. So so there's that train service as well. And this is something I hope will continually develop, let's say. Yeah. What about general costs of things like utilities, cost of living? What's it cost to live there? Yeah. So, I mean, the costs here in the South of Italy, one of the draws for even Northern Italians as well is that the cost of things here are a lot cheaper, of course. And if you can bring dollars or pounds here, they're going to go a lot further here than they will do, uh, you know, back home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the classic, I mean, you just need to only look at the, the cost of a coffee, you know, of a cappuccino of a, or an espresso, you know, uh, it's four or five times cheaper oh, usually here than, than you might get um, back in a place like London or New York. So, you know, produce, fresh produce, the most amazing fresh produce in the world, of course, obviously all a lot cheaper. Um, things like wine are a lot cheaper as well. You mentioned about utilities. One of the really cool things for Lucani at the minute and this is a deal that's recently signed by the president of the region. So one of the amazing things about Basilicata, it's got a oil field. It's got an oil field. What? It's as big as the one in Texas, apparently. They say it's really insane. So this is what's kind of insane about the South. They've got everything here, you know. And yet right. the Northerners, for the foreseeable future, residents of Basilicata no longer pay gas bills. What? Yeah. They no longer pay gas bills. Oh, now this is a tip. Not for your business, but if it's your principal house, whether foreign residents will enter into that under this 7% tax thing, I don't know. These are the questions you, this is is the time when you would need someone like my friend Paolo, I mentioned, to look into that and explain how that works. But I can tell you that residents of the region so that's pretty, that's been a big boost. And of course, that makes it a very, very interesting proposition for people, for Italians, perhaps, who were living in places like Milan and Rome. Maybe they were from the South. Maybe they don't now want to do smart working. All these things make it uh, an attractive proposition, don't they, to come back here. So kind of shrewd move, you might say, by the president yes. of the region here to do that, I would say. so. And a well-kept secret. I've not heard a word of that. It, as I say, you may be exempt from that, though. I don't know. Even if you were, the prices of things, because, you know, the the way of living is cheaper, particularly with things like you learn to cook uh, and eat the way the Italians do. You'll save a lot of money as that. And you'll be healthier as well with that. So I don't have the love for cooking like so many noni do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What would it look like for a person in your region, Matera, maybe even being a little more expensive, but um, including Matera and and surrounding villages and towns, what's it cost wise to eat out? You mentioned that the little places with the, the plastic chairs are always the best places to eat. I'm assuming there might be an affordability to that, but I think I've also read that Matera has some amazing
amazing restaurants there that are higher upper end. What are we talking about for a couple to go out and have a couple glasses of wine and a meal at the low range and the high range? There's a whole range of stuff here, as you would expect in Italy. You go to a place like Matera, there's one Michelin star restaurant there. There's another place that we absolutely love. We treat ourselves sometimes. The chef is amazing. He's uh, an ex-employee of Massimo Bottura, who's, who's consistently won the best restaurant in the world, let alone right. Italy. He's an amazing chef, and that's a great treat there. And that, that can cost you upwards of 120, 130 euros per person. But that's like a proper gourmet. <laughs> con- Maybe not on the affordability list but the love of life list yes it's a sort of once a year treat type of thing okay if if you increasingly materians don't tend to go and eat out in Matera anymore. It's becoming more and more touristic. What you tend to find that happens is that as places become more touristic here, the mm. quality goes down. It's always amazing from our point of view. But for the, you have to understand our standard, and I'm not being derogatory to all of us here, but it is a reality. Our standard is nowhere near what the Italian standard is. Like I said earlier, this is why they love us, because we will get so excited about the most simple thing. I want to clarify for listeners, though, you're not talking about your standards as your Matera cooking class experience. You're talking about... Of course. You're talking about this, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Let's say in standards, let's say the expectations, let's say. You know, our expectations as British Americans are a lot lower than Italians' expectations of a restaurant meal might be. And so yeah. when I say that the quality is going down in a place like Matera that becomes more touristic, I'm talking about that from an Italian point of view. It's still amazing for, for your average kind of traveler and visitor because mm-hmm. you just, even, even the most simple thing here that... Italians would kind of go, oh, it's all right. That's amazing. Um, so what you'd actually tend to find is that the Materans will start to venture outside of Matera. They go to a city like Altamura, which is 20 minutes away over the border in Puglia. Food there, amazing mm. new places opening all the time. Great bars, amazing chefs, amazing produce, great prices. You can mm. eat a whole range of things there. You can eat a massive uh, sort of two, three, four course meal for 20, 25 euros. Okay. Or you can go to a, a gourmet pizza restaurant and, and, you know, have amazing pizza for 10, 11 euros. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a simple pizza for five or six euros, you know? Yeah. So there's a whole range of stuff. Getting outside of the big tourist cities is, is important in Basilicata, I would say. If you get into places like Ferrandina, Pomanico, Milionico, all these little places like that, and you find those simple places where the Italians go, you'll, you'll spend a little and you'll eat amazingly as well. I love it. I love it. If you had a friend that was looking to move to an affordable location in Basilicata, how confident are you in recommending that they try and live in one of those small towns? Totally depends on what it is they're looking for, what type of lifestyle they're looking for, what their personal situation is, uh, what their personality is. You know, I, I think it's very difficult to give a sort of blanket answer to that. It really depends on what you're looking for, you know? Okay. I would say if I were to describe the type of person who would probably enjoy living in some of these small villages that I talked about. I would say that that person is quite an independent person, um, is open-minded, is um, sort of willing to throw themselves into things that might seem strange and very different, and they are enthusiastic and curious. If you have this sort of preconceived image of what Italy might be, because either you've seen that through the touristic lens when you visited the big three, four cities like Rome and Florence, or you're, you're looking you're, you're looking for that image that you've seen on TV from films like Under the Tuscan Sun and all this kind of stuff. Perhaps Basilicata isn't for you, I would mm. say. Yeah, mm. But if you're looking for what I, I would call l'Italia vera, the real Italy, 
Uh, that's the way I would describe that. And what a fantastic characterism for somebody to determine whether or not they think they fit that profile. Thank you. What would you warn them about? Of this region here? Of, of... Yeah, of moving to rural Basilicata. Yeah, so I, the, the warnings I would have is that you have to learn to have patience here. Yeah, and you know, and you've got to just accept that there's a difficulty here, particularly Italian men. They don't like to say no. They're very proud, you see. So, you know, it's not like in England where it's like, you know, can you come on Tuesday? No, I can't come on Tuesday because I'm doing something else. So I will come on Wednesday. And the English guy will probably come on Wednesday unless something happens to him. The Italian man, no, the plumber, the electrician. The Italian man is capable of doing everything at all times ever. He's like a superhuman, okay? At least that's what he wants you to think. And so he's not he's not going to turn around to you and say, no, no, that's not possible. He's going to say, yeah, yeah, everything is possible. And then you'll get to Wednesday at 10 o'clock and he, of course he's not there because he's with someone else doing something else. And he literally can't be in two places at the same time. <laughs> and you'll be like, but you told me you'd be here. Ah, yeah, I'll come tomorrow. And then maybe he won't come tomorrow as well. You have to ha learn to have patience with these things here. And it is maddening. It is crazy. It, you would lose your mind at times. Go to the bar, have a beautiful spritz, eat a pizza, everything will feel better afterwards. And, and eventually, miraculous things will happen and you'll um, just accept that the things that you want to get done will get done, but they might not get done in the order or in the timing that you're used to from coming from the United States in America, you know? So that's the biggest warning. Piano, piano. Piano, piano. And the other yeah. thing I would say, the other warning I would say, and I reiterate again, you must learn some of the language to come here and integrate, yeah? You know? Yeah. You, can't, yeah. you can't moan that the Italians are not welcoming you if you're not making an effort to integrate with them. So just that's a big warning, I think, generally in Italy, okay? okay. You know, I really encourage people. You know, I, I understand, you know, it's easy. You might think it's easy for me to say, oh, Greg, you're already there. You speak Italian, you're doing this. I get why people want to come here. This country puts you on your knees. It's beautiful. Every day you see something amazing. Mm -hmm. And I get that everyone wants to come here, but I really warn people against approaching this in too much of a two-dimensional way. This is not a two-dimensional country. This is not Disneyland, yeah? Mm. Be very careful of being drawn into those stereotypes and then kind of sort of expecting to find that type of thing here. I'm not saying that people do that consciously, but subconsciously there is that danger. So you've, you've got to kind of approach this with depth, I would say, okay. if you're going to do this, yeah? yeah this is yeah. a very deep, you know, this is a very deep old country, yeah? And let me finish just with something an amazing Italian. One of my favorite Italians said at the UN, actually, an amazing point he made about Italy, a guy called Roberto Benini, who made an amazing film. They won an Oscar a few years ago, Life is Beautiful. Mm -hmm. He's a brilliant guy, uh, Roberto Benini, a comedian, actor, filmmaker. And he pointed out at a meeting at the UN, he said that Italy is probably one of the only countries in the world where the culture came before the country, which is very interesting and that very is. important. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very important. The United States is actually older than Italy as a country, if you think yes. about it. Yeah? yeah, we were in um, the Civil War. Uh, yeah, do yeah. you know what I mean? And yet, this is an incredibly old land with incredibly old ways. And so there's a lot of depth to that. Mm -hmm. Don't approach this place in a shallow way. Mm -hmm. Give it the depth that it deserves, you know, in every aspect of it. And then you will be rewarded with all, all and everything that Italy has to offer you. That is the best warning. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And it has a lot to do with respect, I think. Thank you so much for spending so much time today and sharing so much about Basilicata. I'm sorry we had problems with the internet earlier. It's one of the, one of those battles that I have here with our broken phone line, which we can't get fixed for oh, reasons no. that I will probably never understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you so much. We'll post your websites and your links and all that kind of thing. 
Okay. All right. Have a wonderful fair gosto, whatever's left of it. Thank you so much. You too. You're All welcome. Right. Yeah. Take care. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like us and subscribe for more. We will continue to explore regions, towns, taxes, and tips here and on Facebook at Affordable Italy, Living La Dolce Vita on a bootstring, at Instagram under the same name, and eventually italyisaffordable.com. If you know anyone who is living in Italy who'd like to converse with me, I'd love to meet them via my email, italyisaffordable at gmail.com. And now for that much-anticipated limoncello. Chin-chin!